When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope people keep coming into podcasting and I'll hopefully be able to tell them why a little in this interview. This is Podcast Perspectives, a show about the latest news in the podcast industry and the people behind it. I'm your host, Jeff Umbro, founder and CEO of The Podglomerate. Today on the show, I am speaking with Jenna Weiss-Bermond. You probably know who she is if you're listening to this show, but if not, Jenna founded Pineapple Street Studios in 2016 with Max Linsky. Pineapple Street is responsible for some of the best podcasts in the medium, full stop. In 2019, Pineapple Street was acquired by Odyssey, where Jenna now works as their head of podcasts. I think a lot of people listening to this show will really enjoy this conversation. 2023 has been a pretty brutal year in audio for people at all levels. Despite this, Jenna remains optimistic. Like myself, she genuinely loves the art form, but is also really pragmatic about what needs to happen to make this a sustainable industry. So I'm really excited to share this one with y'all. Let's get right to it. All right, welcome to the show, Jenna. Thanks for having me. I, I always say I don't like to do this, and then I do it anyway every single time we have a guest on the show, but I wanna start with your career because you've really touched on like all different aspects of where the industry is at today. So I was hoping you could spend a few minutes kind of walking us through like from when you graduated school and entered the audio world to where you are today. Oh, wow. That's a lot. It's also interesting. You just told me before we started recording that this show is for people mostly who are like getting into podcasting right now, like into the industry. And I'm I'm like, is that a thing that people are still doing? Because it feels right now, unfortunately, like so many people are leaving, which is sad. I hope people keep coming into podcasting and I'll hopefully be able to tell them why a little in this interview. But anyway, let's see my career. I ran my college radio station. I, I always loved audio. I got a job as a collector at a corporate law firm because I was like, there's just no way that anyone were to make money in like audio art, you know, <laughs> like, so I better get a real job. And then I was like, oh, it would be so cool to do something in audio. So I got an internship at StoryCorps, which is basically like a public radio project. Within like a couple months, I got a job there. Was there for a while. Then I was producing audiobooks. Then I was at the Moth for a while after going to the Transom Story Workshop, which is RIP. Really sad because it was such a great program to learn audio. And then after the Moth, I started a podcast called Hidden Brain that's still around, doing doing well at NPR. Then I started an audio department at BuzzFeed, like a podcast department at BuzzFeed. And then I started Pineapple Street. Pineapple Street is my podcast company that we then sold to Odyssey, formerly Entercom, America's second largest radio company. And we sold that in 2019 and I still work there. I, I will say as a side note that I went to Ithaca College and I get emails still at least monthly from people in different programs there who are interested in getting into the audio space. So I think that a lot of people are still really interested. Okay, great. Awesome. I'm so glad. I, I Yeah, well, we can talk more about that later in the conversation, but I do have like a weird amount of optimism about the industry still. So I mean, we can start there. I do have a lot of optimism, but also like it's kind of tough sometimes to feel it when you see the stuff that 
This is the same week that Spotify just announced their layoff of 1,500 people. But yeah, I, uh, why are you optimistic? I mean, it is really tough. And there will be like, I think that there will probably be more like pain and layoffs um, before it gets a lot better. But I think that if you look at the fundamentals of the industry, everything that like implies growth is there. You know, we're seeing huge audience growth every year still. We're seeing tons of new advertisers wanting to get into the space all the time. You know, it's predicted to be like it's a $2 billion industry this year and it's predicted to be a $4 billion industry in 2025. What more do you need besides audience and advertisers, basically, and a ton of great content? Like, you know, there are so many millions of podcasts right now, I can't even keep track. Yeah, so I feel like the fundamentals are there. I mean, what happened was a bunch of massive tech companies got involved and wanted this like medium to grow the way that tech grows. And that was never going to happen. And like, you know, we we weren't going to see 300, 400% growth every year. So there was a lot of money thrown at this thing. I think a lot of acquisitions that didn't make much sense. Companies being acquired that had never been profitable that were maybe going under and that were then bought for over $200 million. You know, it's just it's hard to sort of like see the reasoning behind that. And then it was like, I don't think that there's been a whole lot of effort on the side of people who are supposed to be making money from these things. Money was thrown at it and crazy growth expectations were thrown at it. And now it's like, well, It didn't all work out for us in this bizarre concept of what we think something working out is, which is totally unrealistic growth. So like, I guess it's all just not going to work. And it's like, well, no, like historically bad decisions were made and very little effort was then put into figuring out profitability. And so big, sexy companies made the whole thing look bad for all of us. But the the true reality, you can see it in the audience growth and the advertising growth. So that's why it's hard to be totally pessimistic about it. It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to let Spotify fuck it up for all of us. It's not, it's not the reality. I love it. Preach. So I completely agree with you. That said, there is a reality here because you're somewhat in like the podcast services business. I am in this podcast services business. There is a reality that a lot of people out there who are trying to enter the space for branded shows and otherwise are seeing these headlines and getting scared and getting cold feet. And it is impacting everybody downstream because they're seeing the results of, you know, less business in the space. So unfortunately, it falls on us to keep hammering those stats that you just mentioned with the growth in the industry. That said, like, Your new job at Odyssey, I presume, at least has some aspect of making money for podcasts and making them profitable. How do you think about doing that? There are certainly like hard realities right now. I don't think like podcasting is not profitable and is a failed business is one of those realities. Yeah. But one thing that we definitely have to do and that like should have started a while ago is to figure out what kinds of content make money and how that stuff makes money and then what kind of content doesn't make money and unfortunately like the stuff that i really love to do which is kind of limited run series like pineapple's done some great stuff i don't know wind of change 912 missing richard simmons and it was our bread and butter for a while and the reality is there are far fewer buyers for those things than there used to be because there just isn't ever really going to be a great business model on those. I think that if you think of it this way, which is like 
you know, to make a super beautifully produced limited run, maybe eight episode series, it might cost a million dollars. I'm talking about staff time, travel, um, paying a host, paying musicians, all the stuff that, you know, we don't always think about. Yeah. And then if you can, you know, if you can sell those to Wondery for three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars, it's a great that that people can do that, but that's a loss of six hundred grand. <laughs> and so <laughs> you know, and I think that there was a time when places were paying more, and there was also a time when that loss could sometimes be absorbed by making more money on things like branded podcasts. That's also a, a part of the industry that's gotten way, way, way more competitive. You know, I saw the other day, like Instagram has a new podcast and I was like, what? They didn't even talk to us about that at Pineapple. It used to be like, <laughs> How like, could they? <laughs> I know. I was like, how dare they? I did feel like, oh, it used to be that like everyone came to us and we were doing great and getting all this stuff. And now there's so much competition in the branded stuff. So I think it's just that we just have to be smart about figuring out what makes money, what doesn't. If we want to do certain things that don't make money, we have to balance them with other things that do make money. You know, it's our job as like executives or whatever in this space to like really study what's working and what isn't and then implement a lot more of what's working and kind of kill a lot of what's not working. And I feel very like I, I sound like a politician now, but I feel like focused on job creation right now where it's like I'm feeling a lot of responsibility sort of where it's like if I can figure out how to really make this like super sustainable think like we can bring back and like save a lot of these jobs. Um, a lot of people have gone through like very painful layoffs and it, it feels like, yeah, like it's some of our responsibility on like the business side of things to figure out how to change the direction that things have been going in. And I actually know I, I'm not supposed to like talk super publicly about the, like the numbers, but like we've had a pretty awesome year at Odyssey podcasts and have made a lot of big changes and I think are starting to really figure out like a formula for real growth and real profitability, especially on the podcast network side. So I know that it is possible and I just want to like keep it going. And and I, I think it's only going to get better. I really do. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but I really do. I, I was actually kind of terrified for the listeners. We were supposed to do this last week, but I got sick and lost my voice. So we rescheduled to this week. Right in the middle of that was this big Spotify news that took up all the headlines. And I was kind of scared to talk to you because I didn't want it to be like a sour conversation with the industry. And But it's really like nice to hear you say this because I feel the same way. I know a lot of other people feel the same way. I think there's a bright future for a lot of different reasons, but yes, like there is a reality here that people have been ignoring for a long time and we now need to pay attention to that because we do have a responsibility. I mean, from the very beginning, I think we were all sort of looking at certain moves that large tech companies made, questioning them. If we had any kind of knowledge of the industry, it felt like there were decisions made quickly, like I know that I was, you know, I sold my company. I was in a lot of conversations with big, sexy tech companies that did not know what they were talking about when it came to podcasting. I, I think like certain places went into it kind of cynically being like, oh, we hear it's the golden age of audio and let's get rich, but not with like a lot of thought and not with a lot of intention. And there were decisions made like, let's immediately like 
make everything only available on our app. And it's like, well, you can't do that right away. You have to like put everything out in the world and then tell them that people can go listen on your app and slowly move listeners over. And then it's like, well, it's not working for us because we made <laughs> it was it just feels like a lot of the problems in the industry were like manufactured. Well, yeah, well, exactly. It's like it's not working because we've made really terrible decisions. And it's like, well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's why it's not working. For you. So I am trying to stay positive. And I know I know it sounds maybe like fake or ridiculous, but I do know that it can and will be a like super thriving and sustainable industry. I think part of it is like, I don't know how much I want to be <laughs> involved in continuing to do that. It is exhausting, but, but I'm having fun with it right now. So. But no, it's it's funny because you have seen all of the different like avenues that this industry can go in. I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've been working in audio for nearly 20 years already, which is basically the lifetime of podcasting. Way too long. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, you mentioned that you helped create Hidden Brain. It's still a show that is thriving today. And it is the exact kind of show that people are basically not making anymore because they can't find profitability in it. I don't, I don't want to say that as a blanket statement. Quite a few people are making shows that are like, you know, expansive narratives and like deeply reported, researched. You mentioned earlier that like it's all about finding a balance. Do you feel like a lot of these companies are actually going to take that to heart and like find that balance or are they just going to stick strictly with chat shows? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like is the listener going to suffer because of business strategy? I, I guess that is my fear and there's also with all of the recent layoffs of like incredibly talented producers, what I'm a little anxious about right now is that people who have been laid off are going to be like, you know what, this is a failing industry and I'm going to find a completely different job. And so it's going to be like a talent brain drain. And so like I, I'm just I'm worried that some of the best people are going to kind of leave audio forever. I mean, and I think like the thing Spotify just did getting rid of heavyweight I mean, devastating, like, and also just crazy. Like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that was like four people. It's not that huge an expense. But the good thing on that is that there there is still some business model for that. So places like Amazon Wondery, Audible, Apple, Apple TV, Sony, these places are still buying limited series for sure. And they seem to really care about this stuff. And I think a lot of their goals aren't just around immediate and quick ad revenue. It's also looking at these as a bigger intellectual property play, turning them into TV and film. And I mean, I have a show that I really want to turn into theater. Um, <laughs> I don't think that does very well, but there is still some model for that, which is sort of, I think the way that Pineapple is looking at this now is if we can have our names on shows that are great and exciting and limited series where we're not losing a lot of money, that also certainly helps bring in the stuff where we do make money, which is, you know, branded stuff. Every brand that comes to us, it's not like, oh, we loved your show with this other brand. It's like, we loved your show with this amazing host. We loved the clearing. You you make wind of change and it gives you a halo effect so that Nike comes to you later on. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. So in that way, it's, you know, it's hard if you're looking at like a direct profit and loss statement, it might look like a loss. But overall, I think that's what gives Pineapple a lot of its competitive edge when it comes to branded podcasts is that we have these amazing, you know, kind of narrative limited series. So 
there are ways to spin these so that you can see them as contributing to profit. But I do think that a lot of the industry will be chat shows and it will be very low production costs. And then sometimes I'm like, that's fine. That's just how it has to be. And then like I've been um, talking a bunch with Jad Abumrad lately, who used to host Radio Lab, And he said, like, have you listened to this episode of Rumble Strip called Finn and the Bell? And I hadn't. I went and listened to it and it was like, I have two sons and it's like about this boy's suicide and kind of told by his mom. And I was just like, I couldn't stop crying. And it sort of like brought me back to, maybe this is TMI, but it like brought me back to like why I loved audio in the first place, which is like, I love that like narrative art of it, you know, and I don't, and I love the imagination that it requires because you're not seeing things, you're hearing things. And it's just like, I have to figure out how to make like this part of it sustainable, you know? So anyway, blah, blah, blah. The point is like, I'm definitely not ready to give up on like the figuring out how to like make the art part of it sustainable. That's something that I remain committed to. It's just a really, it's a hard thing right now for sure. So your job at Pineapple Street consisted of a lot of things, I'm sure. Ultimately, it was like, let's make beautiful podcasts. Let's also make money by selling podcasts to brands. You were very successful at doing that. And the result of that is that you were part of this consolidation effort across the industry. You worked as the head of Pineapple for a long time under Odyssey. And recently, Odyssey has promoted you to essentially the head of podcasting at Odyssey, correct? Yeah, exactly. What has changed in your job? Like, are you still making podcasts and finding ways to sell them to brands? A lot of what I've done this past year is make a lot of big changes to the network business we have, which is like the ad sales and marketing. And that was a lot of what Cadence 13 had done. Um, And I took that over a little less than a year ago. And actually, I think I won't speak specifically about us. But I think one of the biggest problems in the industry over the past few years and the thing that made it so unsustainable and actually maybe the number one thing was the payments being made to talent were so astronomically high. We call them minimum guarantees because the way that they're structured is basically a minimum guarantee on ad sales. So we tell somebody like, okay, we'll give you $300,000 guaranteed If we don't hit that, you still get that money. Anything that goes over that, you get a percentage of that too. And some of the minimum guarantees on shows, you see things where where talent who isn't even particularly famous or successful are getting, you know, $15 million a year for their podcast. And sometimes it's a new podcast and their first minimum guarantee was $15 million a year. And, you know, they're they're good. But, you know, even running the numbers, maybe the show can make at best $10 million that year. Yeah, you could be the most popular podcast in the world for a year and you wouldn't make $15 million back. Exactly. So it's an immediate loss. So I think actually talent did great over the past few years. <laughs> you see these deals with, you know, with like Smartless, My Favorite Murder and Crime Junkies, where it's literally like hundreds of millions of dollars for people who are great and talented and lovely and wonderful. But like any math you run on that, you're never going to see a return for the company that is investing in that. And so a lot of what I've tried to do is really like, try to kind of right size that and redo and restructure deals that like make it better for everyone. Because actually in the end, 
it's not that great for talent because when their renewals come up, they're going to do terribly the second time around. Um, And so there are all these different, I think, models that I'm trying to change and that I think a lot of people in the industry are also going to change and they're going to have to change to make it all sort of make sense. You know, I don't need to work super hard to like make corporations richer, but I do want to work super hard to show that this can be a good and sustainable business, not just for the talent, but also for the company that is paying the talent and getting the advertisers. And I and I like I do have a lot of confidence that's going to work out. I, I see all that on a much smaller scale, but like all the unit economics are identical. You can't overpay for a show or offer too many services if you're not going to see the money come back at some point, whether it's through future lead generation or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's also, I think a lot of the network model is basically, you know, someone brings us a show and we're essentially renting it for two to three years. We're renting the rights to sell ads on it. But we also do all of the marketing and we do a lot of the editorial on a lot of these shows. And then after two years, you know, we do everything we can to build up their audiences and to make them better. You're you're paying for their bargaining power and their leverage. Exactly. So we're paying for them to then leave us and go to another network that's like, oh, that company did so much good stuff for you. We want you now. So that's another part of the model that doesn't make sense. So, you know, I think that we have to build in more kind of like tail rates for the companies. So it's like, okay, sure, you can leave us, but we still at least get to market other shows in your feed, or we get to take 10 to 20% of the revenue for the first year that you switch over to another company or whatever it is. But yeah, just these deals have been really just bad for the companies making them. So that's the main path to sustainability, I think. It's fixing those. We ran into that at Poglomerate about three years ago where we were doing all of those things. And for the first time, a show that we had invested all of this time and money and energy into left. It was not the last. And we changed all of our contracts immediately after that. But like, you know, it takes time. There's a hangover period where like stuff you signed years ago needs to catch up. Yeah, it's it's really disheartening. And it's smart. I would do the exact same thing if I was the talent in that situation. Exactly. You know, and then like I hear people being like, well, they're greedy. You know, they're like, they're taking these crazy deals. And, and I'm like, they're not greedy. We're the ones who are supposed to be setting the standard. They don't know. Like if they're going to ask for as much money as they possibly can, as I would also do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need to be the ones setting the realistic standards. And that's also, I think, part of the opportunity that I'm excited about now is like for a while, Amazon and Spotify could and would make such higher offers than other companies that, you know, it was hard to be competitive when it came to getting like huge talent. And now that they've been like, oh, shit, we're not seeing the return on this like investment in the Obamas or in the Royals, whatever it may be. I think that it's an equalizing time because it's like now the networks that are, you know, smaller companies with like not just endless money to throw around, like are making similar offers now. And what we can do and what, what I'm trying to do at Odyssey is like I want to give our talent like a service that other companies aren't giving them. So we have a lot of people coming to us and saying like, we actually make really good money at this blank place, but like we never get reporting from them. We don't know how we're doing. We don't know like who's listening. We They're doing no marketing. They're not trying to grow the show. There's like no communication. So 
I think what's actually happening now is like we're at Odyssey signing a ton of great, interesting talent right now because they like working with us because we have a, like a fantastic team that sends them these like amazing monthly reports and we have a great production team. Some of them work with the Pineapple Street team. Some work with the Cadence 13 team. What's happening that's exciting is it's not just about like, okay, this company's offering five times the money. So like we're out, obviously. It's more about like we're offering similar deals to people that make sense across the board. And then what we can do is, you know, add a little extra ad marketing, ad production, be the people that they want to work with. And that's what we're trying to do. When you guys made Wind of Change and several other times with 912 and, and a few other instances, you did partnerships with, uh, I think Winds of Change was Spotify, Crooked, and, and you made it at Pineapple. Was that kind of like your first effort of trying to grow a show beyond what you could do on your own at Pineapple, understanding that like the mar- market was getting saturated? I was always kind of curious and I always wanted to ask you about that. You know, we had actually, I think the first time that we tried to do what you're talking about is was with The Clearing, which was a show that we had done about a year before Wind of Change. And we partnered on that one with Gimlet right before they sold to Spotify, actually. So they gave us small budget and pretty much like promised to be like our marketing wing. And so we made the show. They essentially paid for it. I think it was co-owned. I forget the ownership structure. And then they marketed the hell out of it. And it was a great partnership. Like it was, you know, we liked working with them a lot. And it was also part of why we then did a bunch of projects with Spotify after that. And then with Wind of Change, we sort of thought of Crooked as the marketing arm. And they were awesome at that. Like they got tons of listeners by promoting the hell of it across their shows. And then Spotify as basically the funder and distributor, and we were the maker of it. And I mean, look, a a lot of why we did what we did was because from the very beginning, we decided we weren't going to take any venture capital. And so I think if we had taken money, we could have bought marketing, you know, or we could have owned more of our stuff because we could have, you know, if we had taken $5 million, maybe we would have made like five to 10 amazing original series. We didn't do that. And so that's a lot of why we ended up having the partnerships that we had. But like, I don't regret it. You know, I feel like we've always sort of been like the Switzerland of the podcasting world. Like we'll work with anyone. And we have. We've worked just about everyone. We have great relationships with, you know, all of the kind of big distributors and all the other podcast companies. We've tried to be like helpful in growing other podcast companies. So it's allowed us to have really fun and good relationships and also get to see how other places work and how we can, you know, work a little more like those places or work a little less like those places or whatever it ends up being. It's kind of, it's been like a fun peek into the entire industry. My final question is really just about Odyssey as a whole, which is, you know, obviously the parent company of Pineapple and where you currently are employed. Most of the industry is really jealous of all of the assets that Odyssey has and like the company as a whole. You guys have Pineapple, you have Kids 13, you have a really good sales arm, but you are owned by Odyssey, which is a corporate entity that comes from the broadcast space, has hundreds of radio towers and stations and and, you know, this is all public, but like, it's just not doing very well. The stock was just delisted from the exchange. There's been talks of selling certain of those assets that are really prestigious. What is that like for you as somebody who is A, working under that situation and B, running the profitable side of that business? Like, it's probably a little bit of a silver lining, yeah? 
<laughs> I mean, you know, I probably won't get too into the weeds, but I will say that my contract at Odyssey was up about a year and a half ago. So we sold four and a half years ago. I signed a three-year contract. I stayed, which is very, very rare. When you sell a company, like, you know, Alex Bloomberg and like Matt Lieber, they left Spotify way before their contracts were up, you know? And I don't know what that meant in terms of like money loss to them personally. I think they did quite well on that deal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think it says a lot when you want to stay at the company that bought yours. I think that's extremely rare. And so all that I know is like Odyssey is a place where I have felt really like respected and listened to and I could go somewhere else. I have a lot to offer and there's like plenty of fun stuff I could do. But what I've found at some of the like, you know, I've said sexier a few times, which is a little gross, but uh, some of the like sexier <laughs> audio companies is that like there's this idea sort of like from the top of like we know what we're doing and you're like a cog in our wheel or whatever. And like we know what we're doing and you follow along and I think at Odyssey, they've sort of always been like, look, you're the podcast expert. You lead and you tell us what we should be doing. And I really like that. And so, yeah, I think it's maybe not the best time to be like an old radio company, but I feel really good in like my unit. I like working with the radio side and we're thinking of like interesting and creative things that we can do together. And I mean, I come from public radio, so I think a lot about radio and podcasts and how it can all work together. And Someday I would love to lead NPR. Just putting that out there, NPR, please. <laughs> if they ever like decide to hire like a young woman instead of like an old man to run the place, I'd be great at it. Yeah, and I'm getting to do like so much fun stuff. You know, like I'm like out in LA, like hanging out with like Amy Poehler and like Glennon Doyle and talking about fun ideas, and it's fun. It's just it's like a fucking fun job. And so yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen to Odyssey. And it's true, like you can read about it and it doesn't all look great, but I like the people there. I see shit tons of potential at the place and a lot of like exciting new people coming to work there. So it's a fun job for me. That's what matters to me right now. I mean, honestly, you guys have all the ingredients for a really great result. So, so thank you, Jenna, so much for joining us. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, this was so great. Thank you again to Jenna for joining us. You can find her at WB Jenna on Twitter and check out everything Pineapple Street is up to at pineapple.fm or head to Odyssey's website or app to see what they're doing. For more podcast-related news, info, and takes, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Umbro. Podcast Perspectives is a production of The Podglomerate. If you're looking for help producing, distributing, or monetizing your podcast, you can find us at thepodglomerate.com. Shoot us an email at listen at thepoglomerate.com or follow us on all social platforms at Poglomerate. This episode was produced by Chris Boniello and Henry Lavoie. And thank you to our marketing team, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, Morgan Swift, Annabella Panna, and Vanessa Ullman. And a special thank you to Dan Christo. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next week.